All right. Good morning, Overflow. Everybody doing okay? You guys enjoy your spring break? I've been looking. I know some of you are like, spring break, I'm an adult. But I've been looking. I've been seeing some of you guys going on vacations and just super jealous. Seeing people in Texas and Florida and on cruises and like, this Texas boy is like, I need 90 degrees in sweat or I'm going to freak out. So just notice. So let's get ready for another week here in Michigan. All right, but man, guys, I have loved this uh, sermon series so far, this asking for a friend. We don't always get to go into some of these like big pressing life questions that kind of haunt us, or maybe we thought about them in our youth and then we just kind of ignored them because we didn't know how do I answer them. They're just like too big, too like pressing and difficult and maybe even scary to let yourself go there and contemplate some of these big questions. So if you haven't listened to the the sermon series from the past two weeks, I'd highly encourage you, go back, listen to the messages that Pastor Elijah gave last week, in particular, just personal preference. That was one of the the best messages I've ever heard in my life. And it was so powerful. So go back, and I don't say that just because he signs my checks. You know, that's just, I just really believe that. So I'd encourage you, go back and listen to that, because we've covered these two topics so far. Um, the, The first week was, God, how can you allow evil to exist in the world? Like, are you good? Like, how can this happen? Huge question. Second question, the one from last week was, God, how come sometimes I pray and I'm praying for what feel like the right things and you, your word says that you answer prayer, but I'm just, I'm not seeing it. Do you even hear me? Are you there? So huge questions. Please go back and listen to those. And then this week, we're going to tackle um, two more. So what we've kind of been doing the past couple of weeks is we'll hit like two kind of like short form questions, and then we'll hit one big kind of overarching question. So the, the 9 a.m. service, you know, they didn't listen fast enough, and we ran out of time. So we're going to ask the first question. So if you want to hear that one, you can go back and listen to the 9 o'clock service. And just to, to whet your appetite a little bit, it was this. It was a doozy. And it's probably why it took a little bit longer. It's how do we know our truth is the truth? If we really believe with all our hearts the the claims of Christianity, the claims of Jesus of Nazareth, but there's other people all over the world who really, they seem to believe just as strongly, you know, their teachings and, and their religious doctrines. How do we know that we've got the right answer? So really big question, not gonna answer it for you because you're at the 11 o'clock. So if you wanna hear that one, go back and listen to the nine o'clock. We also have a, a podcast that we've started called Beyond the Sermon. Um, we do that on YouTube where we like to, to dig into a little bit of the stuff that maybe we didn't have time to elaborate on, me and Pastor Elijah, Pastor Joel. So we might get to dig into that one a little bit more too. So that's another opportunity for you. So before we jump into today's um, two questions, uh, a couple things. I know we've already hit you with some announcements, but we're just going to keep plugging that train until you fall asleep. So we got two other really big things that are happening today that I just want to make sure you don't forget. One is it's group Sunday. So you probably walked through the lobby and you saw all these tables and these little sign-up sheets. So what that is, is we're just letting you know about all the groups that exist here at Overflow Church, all the ways that you could get connected, plugged in. And, and there's you know, like 15 groups that have already existed and three or four new groups that are starting. So if there's something that you would like to be a part of, if you think you'd really enjoy serving in one of our Sunday morning ministries, like kids or the worship team or something like that, we have signups and you can join those groups. If you really want like a deep Bible study, we've got like three or four Bible studies. We've got a new um, community outreach group that's going to be starting. We've got an axe throwing group. We've got a running group. If you're just wanting to build community and connections or even have a place to invite people, People who wouldn't necessarily step foot in a church. We've got every kind of group except skydiving. So we're working on it. We'll try to get that one for you. If you skydive, let me know. But seriously, there's lots of groups. We, we 
hope that you could find one that you feel called to be involved in and really get invested here at Overflow Church. And then the second thing um, that's big about today is today is open table, which I know we've hit that a couple times. I just want to remind you, so after the service, immediately after, we're going to like move all the chairs out of the way, bring out some tables. We got potluck style food. We're going to eat. We're going to fellowship. We're going to have fun. But we're also going to just hear some of the vision of Overflow Church. What does it mean to be a member? How do I get invested? Where are we going as a family, as a community here in this area? So please uh, stick around for that if you can. If you didn't bring food, don't worry about it. There's plenty of food. Um, So please, please stick around for open table and sign up for a group. So um, last thing before we get into the message. So you know, I thought, you know, when we were singing through Waymaker, when we were um, praying for Roger and, you know, just participating with the sorrow in the morning of his sister passing, something else, you know, I looked out and, and I saw in the congregation, you know, we've got like uh, Harrison and Rhea, we've got Matt and Heather, we've got like these new babies also, this new life that God has given us to rejoice in. And there's um, a little passage of scripture in the Psalms that came to mind that I wanted to share Psalm 139, verse 16, it says, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious are your thoughts towards me, God. And I just love the beauty of that, that from the beginning to the end, he's had it all planned out. He ordained the days of our life. And there's going to be days of sorrow and sadness. There's going to be days of rejoicing. And all of it, God is there. He ordained all of it. He planned it. He saw you before you were even born. He had a dream in his heart of who you would be. And so that just encourages me, just seeing that God is there from the beginning to the end, that we get to rejoice in the times of rejoicing, and that there's a healthy, holy grieving in times of sorrow. And also just, you know, to um, give a shout out to the Chups. I mean, that was like two weeks ago that you guys had the baby and you're here at church. I mean, getting that Jesus extra credit going on. So good job, guys. But please, you know, um, congratulate them and and bless them. All right. So we're going to jump into it today. So asking for a friend, we got two questions we want to look at. They're kind of connected. Let's go ahead and we're going to look at our scripture for the day first, and we'll, we'll kind of come back to the scripture a number of times. But if you wouldn't mind, please stand for me uh, for the reading of God's word. This is going to be Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. This is kind of our foundation scripture for the day, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And the reason that we stand, by the way, we just want to honor um, God's word. We want to acknowledge it as holy, as special, as God-breathed and given to us in the Bible. So Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you guys have a seat, please. Thank you. All right, man, I love that verse. We're going to come to that in just a second. So the first question that we want to address today, and you guys have asked some amazingly deep and difficult questions. Like, I don't know if any of them was just like super simple. So this one I really connected to at a personal level. So it's why I wanted to share this one. So one of you wrote on your asking for a friend card up on the wall, you wrote, why do bad people get blessed more than people who try to do good? Why does it seem, but the Bible might word it like this, why do the wicked seem to prosper and the righteous seem to suffer? Why is that, God? Why do you do it like 
that. And I think we could all think either in our own lives or, or just stories, you know, you think of the people kind of running the world, the power brokers of the world, leading governments and billion dollar companies. And you're like, these don't seem like the most God honoring people. And yet they seem to prosper. And yet some of the holiest people seem to have the most difficult lives. And God, why is that? Why do you do it that way? It seems backwards. So what's going on there? So to address that, and there's a, a lot you could say here, but to address that, we're going to look at Psalm 73. And I'm just going to read it to you guys. It's not going to be on the screen, but we're going to look at a few of these verses. So Psalm 73, it starts out like this. This is a psalm by a guy named Asaph. He says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. And we skip down a few verses. And he says, this is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. So that's intense. That's very raw and honest. He's saying, God, I look at the wicked people. They seem like they're healthy and they're rich, and they just don't have a care in the world. And he said, all my days I've been keeping my hands pure. I've been doing what's right by you, trying to honor you. And every morning I wake up with affliction and pain and sorrow and hardship. So he's saying, what is going on? And this is personal to me, so I'm going to relate why this one matters to me at all. So I've shared this testimony a few months ago, just a little bit of my story, my background. So when I was a young person, I was trying to think of what do I want to do with my life? You know, when I graduate high school, where do I want to go? Who do I want to be? There's really only one thing that I ever wanted. I wanted to be a pilot. I wanted to be a pilot in the military. I wanted to be a fighter pilot in the military. It was really specific. I was like that kid who's like seven years old. It's like, I want to be a race car driver, but I just never quit thinking, but someone's got to do it, right? Like someone's got to get that job. So that's the one I want. And I just couldn't imagine any other thing like satisfying my heart and giving me like purpose and contentment. I had to be a fighter pilot in the military. And I had some family who had, you know, been in aviation fields and, and done this kind of thing. So I knew like it is possible somebody gets to do this thing. So from like 13 to 18 years old, like middle school through high school, I took it serious. I was like, I'm going to get all the best grades. I'm going to do all the right extracurriculars. I'm going to go after all the right things, get into the right school so that I can do this thing that is burning in my heart to do. And I, and I did. I got the best grades. I got a full scholarship from the Air Force. I went to the school they told me to go to. I took the degree plan they told me to take. I met all the military people who had the right connections who could put me in the right place. I did all the things. I worked as hard as I humanly knew how to work because I wanted this life purpose, this goal so badly. And then if you remember my, my story that I shared, so I'm I'm a freshman at A&M. I've got the scholarship. I've got this contract in the military. I know I'm going to get the grades. I know I know the right people. I just couldn't imagine that it's not going to work out. But then I ended up feeling not great and sick and going to the doctor again and again. And finally, they diagnosed what was wrong. They said, you've got a, a disease called ulcerative colitis. And they're like, this is a chronic disease. We, we can try and minimize the symptoms, but you'll never be done with the, the disease itself. 
And then the military said, hey, that disqualifies you. You can't be in the military at all. And I went through like a year-long appeals process. And then finally, by the end of my sophomore year at A&M, like this two-year process, they're like, this is the final no. You just can't do this thing. And I was like, but, okay, God, I did all the right stuff. I worked so hard. I, I studied and I, I invested discipline and time and the sweat equity. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't cheat anybody. I didn't do anything wrong. I just pursued something with the American dream. You know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps if you want it and you work hard enough. If you hustle long enough, you can get it. I was like, God, I did all that stuff. Plus, like, I'm your guy. Like, I, I read my Bible and I pray and I go to church and sometimes I even tell people about you. Like, why are you doing this? And then I had to look around and see other guys that I was in this military, this ROTC program with, starting to get picked for those pilot slots that I had coveted. I was like, but God, this guy was just bragging about how he cheated on his exams this semester. And this guy is sleeping around with all the women he meets. And these three guys, they don't go to church. They don't know you. They don't love you. They don't care. And now I've got to watch their Facebook post from the inside of their cockpit of them living the dream that I had worked so hard for. And I was just, my heart was offended, just like Asaph in the psalm. And I said, what is going on? They are prospering. And every morning I wake up and I feel afflicted. And my heart is, is grieved, God. What is the point? And so I won't go through like the whole Psalm 73. I encourage you to check it out. It's an amazing uh, raw um, piece of poetry and, and prayer to God. But basically what he says is this, is that all this stuff afflicted his heart until he came into the presence of God and God revealed to him that he has a purpose for humanity that goes beyond the 50 to 70 to 80 years of this life. And basically his point was the wicked may get to experience these things because that's what they've chosen to invest in, the, the temporary pleasures of this life. That our God is a God who lets people choose where do you want your reward to be? Do you want your reward in, on the earth or do you want on heaven? Do you want a, a temporary reward or an eternal reward? And so he says the wicked may prosper for a season, but ultimately their end will be destruction and separation from God. He says that my portion will be God forever. My portion is an eternal portion. And this is the hope that early Christians had because in, in the Roman society that most of the Christians were living in, they weren't prospering. Most of them were not being successful. They were being persecuted. They were being thrown in prison. They were treated as outcasts. Their possessions were being taken from them. Entire families were being put to death. Their hope was not in having the perfect life here on the earth having the perfect job and the perfect spouse and all my health is great and my finances are great. That's not what their hope is. In fact, the Apostle Paul said that if our hope is in this life only, we of all people are the most to be pitied because our lives are so hard right now. If this is all we're living for, we're doing it wrong. But he said we have an eternal destiny. We get the eternal pleasure of knowing God forever. And so at the end of the psalm, he sums it up like this. He says, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. 
my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So he's saying God is my portion forever, so much so that there's not a thing on the earth that I desire more. There's not even a thing in heaven that I desire more than just God himself, to know him and be known by him. So that's the answer that the Bible gives for why do the wicked seem to prosper and so often the righteous seem to suffer. And so as a a college student myself, being about 20 years old and reading through this psalm, like it did bring some encouragement as God helped me see that eternal perspective. It did help me see, okay, God has more for me than just, will I get to spend 25 years doing the job that I love? He has a future and a destiny for me that goes beyond eternity. And so I found some comfort in that, but here's the thing, and here's where we're going to segue into our big a question for the day, but I still was left at this place of saying, that's good, and I appreciate that, but what do I do now? What do I do with the rest of my life now? What is your purpose for my life now? Because I don't know. I thought I had it all figured out, and we've all either been or we're in or we're coming to those kind of decision points in our life. I think we go through them multiple times in our life, We're like, is this it? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Is it really this job? Is it really this thing? Like, what is it? When am I going to get married? When am I going to feel fulfilled? When am I going to have earthly contentment and satisfaction? When am I going to know that I'm doing what you created me to do? Like, we all have those moments. And at 20 years old, that was just like a, a flashing bulb over my head every day. Like, I appreciate eternity, but right now I'm on the earth. And what do I do now? So that's our big question for today, is how do I know what my purpose is? Or if we were to reframe this back to God, do you have a plan for me? Do you have a plan for me? And that's where Ephesians 2.10 is so pivotal. So I'm going to read Ephesians 2.10 to you guys one more time. It says, for we are God's handiwork. And some translations say his masterpiece. I love the imagery there. We are God's handiwork, his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So this word that we translate handiwork or masterpiece, it's a Greek word, a poema. And the imagery that I want you to get here is of God's intentional creative design. That when he made you, he wasn't just in his God factory pulling a lever and out cranks another baby. He wasn't just making more widgets for the machine. It wasn't just crank, crank, here's a million more babies this year. It was an intentional, thoughtful, planned out handiwork, a masterpiece, an artistic design. And because he made you with such intentional thought, with such planning, with such design. It means the rest of the verse here that there's specific things that you will be doing in his household that other people won't be because you are so unique and so one of a kind. There there wasn't like a template and he cranked out three billion people just like you. You are a unique one of a kind mold that he thoughtfully planned and said, this is what you're going to be like. This is the kind of thing that's going to make you laugh. This is the kind of thing that's going to make you irritated. This is what your voice is going to sound like. This is the color of your eyes will be. This is going to be the kind of gifts you have. You're going to be really good at these kind of things, but you're going to need people to help you with these kind of things. Every aspect of who you are was lovingly, thoughtfully created, designed, and planned out by a master artist, a master craftsman. 
And so, you know, just so happens, I love how God does things. And his timing, I happen to be going through Psalm 139 this week, which I read a little bit to you. And here's my shameless plug. Um, I have a podcast called Praying the Bible, where I just take scripture, and for 10 minutes, I pray over it and meditate over it, just to help people with their devotional time. And I just happen to be going through Psalm 139, and one of the verses in Psalm 139 says this. It says, you knit me together in my mother's womb, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And as I was taking those 10 minutes to pray over that verse, and chew on it, and meditate on it, and contemplate on it, the imagery that stuck in my mind was that of like a a sweet old grandmother sitting in a comfy chair by a fire in a living room, just slowly, patiently, thoughtfully knitting something together, some work of art, some useful garment. And when you're knitting something together, you're not in a hurry. You're investing time. You're investing thought. It's a patient, deliberate, thoughtful, loving act. And so that's the imagery that I want you to get of when God made you he invested time. He didn't just pull the, the baby lever and out you popped. But he thought through every aspect. He patiently invested time to weave you, to knit you together, just as he wanted you to be. So you matter so much more to God than you probably realize. And in God's house, he didn't create us. Jesus didn't die for us so we could have a job title and just like a role or a function. He didn't just need more people to do more things. He created you. He died for you to make you a son or a daughter in his family. So in God's family, the beautiful thing is we all have these unique personalities and giftings and unique design. And in God's family, we all have a role to play. There's no one in God's house that just sits in the corner. It's like, well, your gifts aren't really important, so we're going to just use these seven people over here who are really gifted. In God's house, we are all needing what one another provides. I need the grace of God on your life. You need the grace of God on my life. I need the expression of God, the image of God that he has granted you to reflect that little sliver of who God is. I need to receive that. Our community needs to receive that. You need to be fully who God has made you to be. The Apostle Paul kind of sums it up like this a couple chapters later in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. He says, From him, from God, the whole body, that would be all of us as believers, are joined and held together by, or, by every supporting ligament as it grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So not only are you uniquely, thoughtfully, creatively made, but you are so important that we can't be who we're supposed to be without you. We can't be the body of Christ and express God to the world without you being you. And total side note, but to me, that's one of the saddest things about when the devil convinces someone to take their life because he is robbing all of us of the grace of God, of the image of God that that person was uniquely, specially designed to carry that no one else could carry. So I just want to impress that to you. If you ever have those thoughts that you don't have value or life is too hard, and you are so valuable to me, to us, to the body of Christ. We need the grace of God on your life. So be fully you and rejoice in how God has made you, even if sometimes you're like, I, I don't like how he's made me. I don't like my personality. I don't like this thing. I wish I was six feet tall. Anybody? Six feet tall? But God has made you just how he wanted you, and you can rejoice that it was lovingly, thoughtfully, creatively made. I, I, could, I could just stay there for the whole message, but we got to move on. So, so here's a practical tip for you guys. I got like two or three practical tips. Practical tip number one is that your purpose and your assignments 
and God's family will typically, you could really say almost always, fit your unique design. So yes, sometimes God will ask you to do something that's hard, that's not a great fit, because he's doing some character work, but that's going to be an exception to the rule. Usually God is going to put you in places that fit who he's made you to be, who he's called you to be, how he's designed you. So here's the thing. So if you hate the things that you're trying to do for God, there's a good chance you're trying to walk in someone else's grace. There's a good chance you're trying to run in someone else's lane, that you're maybe comparing yourself to another Christian, and you feel like, oh, that's the kind of Christian I should be, and you're doing something that doesn't necessarily fit your unique gift. And that's why, you know, we've got so many groups here at Overflow Church, because we know that you're going to be called to something different than me and I, something you, even in different seasons of life. It might be a season for going deep in the Word, and this season might be a season for doing outreach ministry and sharing the Word. So you've got to know, what's my fit? So you don't get burnt out and frustrated. And one example, I shared this in the 9 o'clock, but one little example maybe helps you connect this. So like in our church and our staff, we've got a handful of people. Me and Pastor Joel, we work together. We have different personalities, different giftings, different callings. You know, I tend to be more quiet, more introspective, more deliberate. Uh, I like to plan things. Pastor Joel's more creative, spontaneous, outgoing. He's just, you know, I ran out. Those are the only, those are the only... Those are the only things I had for you. But we're so different. And if I look at Joel and I'm like, ah, oh, you know what? Only outgoing creative people, that's what God really needs. And so I'm just going to try to be outgoing and creative and do the things he does, then I'm going to get burnt out. If he looks at me and he's like, oh, only like these really like thoughtful, quiet, you know, planning type people are important. So I'm just going to try and be like Dan, then he's going to get burnt out. And what else is going to happen is we're going to be robbing each other and robbing the body of Christ of the unique gifts that we're called to express. So you've got to be uniquely you, and you can admire other believers and what they do, but you need to know how God has gifted you and designed you so that you can have that satisfaction of being who he's made you to be in his family. So even stuff like, you know, our kids' ministry, we always need more people to serve in that ministry. You may serve up there and you know, like, oh, this is my fit. Like, I love the little smiles on these faces. I love seeing these kids worship and and do that. And you know this is my fit. And then someone else might be up there and be like, I'm going to jump out the window. Because I, all I hear is screaming, and I can't handle it. I'm going to have a panic attack. So that might not be the ministry for you, if that's the case. Maybe you need to be on worship and tech, or who knows, some, something else that fits your personality. So just one practical tip. If the thing that you're trying to do for God feels really oppressive, it might not be the thing that God actually asked you to do. So moral of the story, uh, don't serve upstairs. So. No, just kidding, just kidding. That went over better in the 9 o'clock. That, you, know, so you guys are more offended for Rachel, so I appreciate that. All right, so that's practical tip one. Practical tip two is this, is that we need other people in our life to help us discern these things about ourselves. So like the things that I know about myself, the things uh, Pastor Joel knows about himself, some of that was self-evident, and we learned just from experience, oh, this is who I am. But some of that other people have helped us see, like, hey, you know what? you're probably not supposed to lead in this area because your gifts fit over here. And so I'll bring it back to my story. So 20 years old, what am I doing with my life, God? I thought I was going into the military, thought I was going to be a pilot. That's the only thing my brain could imagine that would fit me, that would be fun, that would give me purpose. So what am I supposed to do? 20 years old, in college, feeling totally lost. I'm sure no college student other than me has ever felt that before. 
and I'm asking these big questions, you know, God, where do I go? What do I do? And, you know, obviously what I want is like a divine revelation from heaven. Like God shows up with an angel and says, and thus saith the Lord, go and do this. But I just, you know, that didn't happen. And what did happen was this. So as I was going from like my sophomore to my junior year at A&M, I was still in like the kind of the ROTC group there. And the guy who had been the chaplain of that group before me was moving on. And he said, hey, I think you would be a great fit for this role. And I had never thought that about myself. I didn't have any aspirations to like lead Bible studies or do ministry type stuff. But this was a peer who lived with me for two years, who saw me, who knew me, who identified something in my life that I didn't observe at that point. And then the church that I was going to, I started to get more involved there because I had more free time. And I joined an outreach ministry called Youth Impact. And the guy who led it, one of the the pastors there became a mentor of mine. And after a year of working with him, he's like, hey, you know what? I think you would be a really great fit to help lead part of this ministry. So over the course of like two years, I kept having people who were either like um, peers or pastors or mentors, my own parents and family, the people who knew me best could look at my life and help me identify, hey, here's some of the areas where we see that you are gifted. Here's some of the areas where we see passion, where we see calling. And not only that, as I started to step into these things and test the waters, I found out, oh, I I feel like I really enjoy this. I feel like I do have some aptitude for this. I actually like leading these Bible studies and meeting one-on-one with people and talking about God and life and all these things. And so at the end of two years, I finally started to figure out, with the help of of great people around me, where God was leading me. I was like, okay, I think I see it. I think my life's calling is to be a pastor, to be a minister, to do vocational ministry. I think I've figured it out. And kind of the last, um, you know, nail on the coffin of this idea for me so I, I talked with a lot of people, got a lot of good input, had some good experiences, and I had a friend, one of my two closest friends from high school. He was going to Texas Tech. I was at Texas A&M, and we would instant message each other, you know, back in the, the early 2000s, and that was the deal. And, and I reached out to him and was like, hey, man, you're never going to believe this. You know, he was an atheist. He didn't know my whole church life. He knew I was a Christian. We had a few conversations about God when he was open to it, but he didn't know all the things in my heart about God or whatever. So I'm messaging him like, you're never going to believe this. Um, I think I'm supposed to be like a, a pastor, a minister or something. And he responded back right away. And he said, duh. <laughs> I was like, what, what do you mean? He's like, that's so obvious, man. It's like, how did you not come to the, like, you're seriously coming to this conclusion now at this point, like you're 22 years old and you're just now seeing this. And so my point is, it, I didn't need a divine revelation in that moment, though I'm certainly, you know, pray about it, seek God. But he was just a person who just happened to know me well, who could see and identify, here's what you might not see about yourself. So I encourage you guys, you know, if you're wrestling through this question of, God, what's my purpose? Life is confusing. I hate my job. I hate where I'm at. I don't know what to do. Where do I go to school? Who do I marry? Ah, all these big life questions. There's a good chance God wants you to figure that out with the people who know you and love you, who are in community with you. So close friends, pastors, mentors, spiritual advisors, um, the people that you're in community groups with, like, process this with them, and I think you'll find 
uh, a lot of fruit there. And I'll give you one other quick plug for our ladies. So we're having a, a women's conference in a few months on June 10th. It's called the Women's Awaken Conference. And this question is actually a big part of what you guys are going to dig into more, is how do I process and figure out God's calling on my life for this season of life? Maybe not your whole life's calling, but for this season of life, where am I supposed to be going? What do I do? Because we want to see you guys empowered to run in all the ways God has called you to run, to, to minister in all the ways God has called you to minister. Because we believe that God wants to do amazing things with the women of our church. So just put that on your calendar, June 10th, coming up in a few months, where you guys can really dig into this together of how do I figure out God's calling, his assignment, his purpose on my life. So we're going to start winding things down here. So I want to bring you back to my story one last time. So I was so excited to figure out, like, oh, ministry, that's my thing. Now I know my life's purpose and calling I'll never have to think about that again. I've got it figured out. And so what I did, so I, you know, I graduate college. I started working for that same church um, where I had volunteered. I did that for a year as an intern. Then for a year, I kind of bounced around, like interviewing with other ministries, trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do. And then after that, uh, a friend of mine reached out to me who was a few years older. He's like, hey, man, I'm planning a church. I really think you're supposed to be one of the pastors on staff. And so for the next seven years, uh, I, I planned this year. I was 25 years old, and we started. And at 25, I was like, I did it. Like, I figured life out. I figured out my life's calling at 25, and we're going to build the best church that the world has ever seen, and everything's going to be amazing, and it's just going to be sunshine and happiness from here on out because I figured out the most burning question, which is what is my life's purpose? And so, I did, like I said, I did that for seven years, and I loved it. I really did because it, it is part of my calling, obviously. Um, it, it was my passion. It was my, my gifting. And not to say there was never hard days or days where I was like, this is not working the way I thought it would work. But for seven years, I was like, this is my fit. And I love this. And at the end of those seven years, so our little church merged with another little church and, and a new church was born. Um, a church baby happened. And I felt like that was from the Lord. But the Lord also told me, <laughs> I that was random, but the Lord also told me, he's like, but I don't want you to lead the new church. I actually want you to step down. I was like, okay, that's fine. Like at this point in my ministry, I had been like growing and advancing a lot. I knew that I was growing in the Holy Spirit. I was just, I was, I thought I was on this ministry trajectory where it's like, man, things are just taking off. This is going to be crazy. The ministry that God is going to give me. And so I was like, I'm just stepping into the next ministry role with the next church. And me and my wife went to a church where we had these relationships. And when I was in that church, the Lord said, but you're, this is where you belong, but you're not going to minister here either. And he said, actually, why don't you go get a job? And why don't you work for a while? And so I did that. I'm like, okay, so, you know, we're looking at like six months. Like, how long are we going to do this thing? You know, time starts to go by. My wife can testify. I'd be like on the computer looking up other ministries that I could join all the time. Like, oh, I really love this ministry over here. And, oh, maybe we could go overseas and we could like partner with this thing or start this thing over here. And I kept trying to get after this life's calling, this life's purpose. And the Lord just kept putting all these roadblocks in front of me. So it was a seven-year time span. I did seven years of planning a church and seven years working an office job, working in a corporate environment. And God did cool stuff, but I always like, had this question. And, and what the Lord showed me in these seven years, he said, sometimes knowing your life's calling is not such a good thing. Sometimes it's actually really dangerous because you might find out your life's calling and then start chasing after the validation and the fulfillment that comes from the thing you do instead of who you are, which is my son. 
And so the Lord took me to the, the story of the prodigal son, which you're probably familiar with. I was like, God, I'm not, a, I'm not a prodigal. I'm not in sin. I've never ran from you. I'm more like the older brother who judges the other people who do that. So like, what's the point of the prodigal son story? And the Lord showed me it's not all about that he ran away and lived like a hedonistic, sinful lifestyle. The Lord showed me, here's this other thing in the prodigal son's story. He asked the father who represents God in the story, he said, give me my share of the inheritance. Give me the thing that you've set aside for me, that you've purposed for me. Give me that. And when the father gave it to him, he said, thanks, see you later. And he said yes to an inheritance and no to a relationship. And so the Lord said, that's what I was saving you from from going after the fulfillment of ministry success, of feeling like you got the right job and you're doing the thing that makes you feel validated, makes you feel important, but drifting further and further from relationship with me because you're not walking it out with me, you're, you're walking it out on your own. In another scripture, Matthew chapter 7, the Lord says, on the last day, some are going to come to me and say, hey, didn't we heal the sick in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty miracles in your name? He says, I'm going to say to them, not, no, you didn't, but... You did, but you never knew me. And so that's what I don't want for myself or for you guys, to find out your life's calling and get real excited about it and then go be all about what you do instead of who you are, which is a beloved son or a daughter, uniquely, creatively thought out and designed by God. And yes, you have a purpose and you have a calling, and it's totally fine to chase after that, but first you have to be rooted and grounded in who you are before God, who you are in his eyes. So we're going to wrap up with this. This is the last thing. Practical tip three, and our, and our worship team can come up. The last thing is that walking with God will always cost you something. If, if we're like Asaph in Psalm 73, and we're saying that God is my portion, and he's really the only thing in heaven and earth that matters to me, God hears that prayer, and he's going to respond, but it will cost you something. And you think of Jesus Jesus, the perfect son of God, knew exactly who he was and what he was called to do. Yet in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's crying out, desperately sweating drops of blood, saying, God, is there anything else? Is there any other way but this way? And when the Lord says no, his response is, then not my will be done, but your will be done. And if we don't put our life on the altar, your job, your career, whether you're going to get married and who you're going to get married to, whether you're going to be healthy, whether you're going to prosper financially, if all of that doesn't go on the altar, then we run the risk of being those who chase after the temporary pleasures of this life and reject the eternal pleasure of knowing God. So I want you to know your purpose in your life calling, but even more, I want you to remember that you're a son or a daughter and that his will alone is what's going to satisfy a son or a daughter. Being close to him is what's going to satisfy a son or a daughter. All right, let's pray, guys. Jesus, we thank you that you have it all figured out. Even when we don't know where we're going and who we are and who we're supposed to be, we know that you have lovingly knit us together. We are your handiwork and your masterpiece. But Lord, we want to walk this out in relationship with you. We don't want to run our own way and do our own thing and find our validation in the works that we do and the things we accomplish. We want to find our validation in this one thing. I am loved by God and I love him back. That is our successful life, that you know us and we know you, that you love us and we love you. So Lord, ground us in that. Root us and ground us in love today. In Christ's name, amen.